If you're an entrepreneur, you know what it means to take personal and financial risks, create jobs that support your community, and devote most of your time to your business. But do you know how to plan for a successful exit from your business? Do you know who should be involved in creating your succession or transition plan and the steps along the way? Welcome to Finish Big, the podcast with Mark Dorman from Legacy Business Advisors. The podcast theme is inspired by critically acclaimed business author, Bo Burlingham, author of Finish Big, how great entrepreneurs exit their companies on top. In this podcast, you'll hear success stories of exit plans done right and pick up practical tips based on years of legacy business advisors' expertise and knowledge about the largest and most important financial transaction of your life. Now, on to the show. Hello, this is Mark Dorman, your host of the Finish Big podcast, and welcome to another episode of Finish Big, where today we have a very, very special guest. A gentleman has become a good friend over the last 15 years. His name is Scott Gabehart. Let me tell you a little bit about Scott. Scott has been the chief valuation officer for BizEquity, the world's largest business valuation platform since 2006. You'll recall, ladies and gentlemen, that we had had Michael Carter, the CEO, on our show a few months back, and it was extremely well-received. We want to touch on that again. But in addition to being the chief valuation officer for BizEquity, Scott has 30 years' experience in private firm valuation and transactional representation. He's a certified business appraiser, a certified valuation analyst, business certified appraiser, which are three of the five recognized designation by the Small Business Administration and the Internal Revenue Service. He's co-authored business valuation requirements for the Small Business Administration change of ownership loans. Uh, In addition to all that, he's also a faculty member at the Thunderbird Global Institute for Global Management, excuse me. And he's for the last seven years, he's been teaching firm private firm valuation courses and teaching graduate level courses at the University of Phoenix. He is a co-founder of the Business Valuation Institute, uh, which offers the Certified Business Valuation Specialist, or CBVS, designation. He carries a master's in business administration, plus two and a half years of economic study in the PhD program at the Arizona State University. Uh, He's also taught economics full-time for four years at local community college. Scott Gabehart is also the author of numerous books and articles related to private firm valuation. Scott Gabehart, my friend, welcome to Finish Big, the podcast. Thank you. It's great to be here. Looking forward to our chat. Yeah, well, we are going to dig right in here. So there is a lot to unpack just in your bio, but uh, we first met probably, as I said, about 15 years ago at the formation of BizEquity. Let's talk about, first of all, where is BizEquity today? I'm very good friends with Michael Carter. I know they did a transaction with the uh, with the American Business Journal Association. Maybe you could touch on that, but it's still, uh, by all accounts, is the world's largest business valuation platform, correct? Yes. And of course, we occupy a special niche being entirely online. Our client base includes wealth advisors, insurance agents, CPAs, attorneys, business brokers, consultants, exit planners. Over the uh, history of the firm, we've managed to continue growing every year, uh, including several large 
banks, which we're uh, proud to be serving as, as well as wealth management companies such as Morgan Stanley. It's a, it's a long and growing list. Yes. I mean, I, one of the things that I've learned in the past 12 to 15 years in my dedication to the small business marketplace, which is a passion we, you and I share, and Michael certainly shares as well, this incredible statistic that 98% of small business owners do not know the value of their business. Does that still ring true today? Well, I, I would say that more or less that's true. And I mean, that's just an amazing number, right? Yes. In many cases, they're just misinformed. They, they may think they know, but once you uh, dig into the details, uh, many times they're surprised. But just the number of business owners that clearly are operating in the fog and, and in my travels, and those are some of my colleagues in this space, one of the most important questions that we ask our business owners is, do you know the value of your business or tell me what your financial advisor, what does he or she tell you about the value of your business? And inevitably, the, the answer that I get, Scott, is, well, we don't talk about that, Mark. I mean, we talk about you know half a million dollar IRA rollover or a few bucks I've inherited from my parents, et cetera. But and I kind of just sit back in my chair. I said, you know, we hear that answer a lot, Scott. It's yeah. interesting that 90% of a business owner, his or her wealth is tied up in the value of their business. But any type of financial advice or planning advice they seek is really limited to the absolute tip of the iceberg. Agreed? Definitely. I've always said that understanding a client's business value is probably the single best way to enhance your status as an advisor whatever type of advisor you might be. Taking the time to learn, learn the fundamentals of business valuation and to be able to explain to a business owner what their company's worth and what some of the key value drivers are and to help shape their business future, I think is obviously a very valuable skill. We do our best to help train the advisors who work with us to walk the walk and talk the talk and truly help their clients. I agree with that completely. And I, I echo those sentiments. I mean, to play back that response that we get, hey, we don't really talk about the value of my business because we're too busy talking about my IRA or my 401k plan. And I said, we're the advisors for the conversation about the value of 90% of your wealth. And we feel that make, makes more sense, Mr. Business Owner. And inevitably, they pause and go, yeah, now that you mention it, Mark, that really, really makes more sense to me. Let's talk about why business owners need to know the value of their business. I mean, there's obviously, you know, you should know, but there's a number of different planning items out there, whether it's buy, sell, could be purchase, buyout, et cetera. Maybe walk us through a few examples of why, specifically why business valuation should be top of mind for yeah. business owners today. Yeah. Well, I think the first and really primary reason is one of value optimization. As you've suggested, a business typically or quite frequently the single largest asset in a business owner's portfolio. Being proactive in understanding the valuation process and building towards wealth enhancement is in and of itself a very worthy goal. Aside from that, we have a number of, you might say, transactional causes or needs for business valuation. Th things that you say, well, I, I need to get one for a divorce or I need to get one for the death of a shareholder, right? Yeah, exactly. Event-driven requirements, issuing shares for key employees, 
getting a bank loan uh, using the SBA program, for example. Over the course of the life cycle of a business, there are these event-driven needs which arise, and each of those valuation scenarios are different. And it's certainly important to uh, be tracking your business value along the way. And that will help when the time comes for formal business appraisal. Play that back a little bit. I mean, what I heard you say there is, hey, ladies and gentlemen, one of the reasons why you need to know the value of your business is because if you don't know where you're starting, you don't know how to make it more valuable, correct? hundred percent. Yeah. And what the value drivers are there. So that leads us preaching right into the exit plan mantra, particularly the Exit Planning Institute about value acceleration methodology. But it starts with what is my baseline value today? But then there are also all these other events, whether it's the death of a shareholder, estate planning, gifting, the buy-in or buy-out of a shareholder, treatment of key employees, et cetera. But for years, business valuations were ten, twelve, fifteen thousand dollars, and took months and months, and were very, very intrusive. That certainly isn't the case today with biz equity. That's very true, and have great confidence in the accuracy of our our tool. I like to explain it as the biz equity value estimate. Not ninety five percent of the time will fall in between the range that you would uh, obtain if you hired five professional appraisers, provided the same fact pattern. That reflects the nature of business valuation. It is both an art and a science, and every valuation is ultimately an opinion, but it's an opinion based on facts and generally accepted valuation principles and procedures. And the biz equity model mimics the work of a uh, business appraiser conducting a formal valuation. I would be uh, misleading our listeners to say that biz equity in and of itself is the answer to all valuation requirements, because there are certain instances such as a formal estate and gift tax plan implementation, which requires a quote unquote qualified appraisal from a quote unquote qualified appraiser. Understanding the principles of valuation and being engaged within the concepts that drive business value obviously is a plus, whatever your need might be for a, an event-driven valuation. I completely agree there. When we talk to our clients, biz equity gives us a good baseline discussion draft, so to speak, right? But where you and I have gotten to work more closely is if the need calls for it and we need a certified business appraisal oftentimes, but not always for sure. I mean, the vast majority of the time, the biz equity valuations are being done kind of at a a high level. It's the effort to, what's the term you guys use? Democratize business valuation, right? To avoid having to pay that 12 to 15 and now 20 to $25,000 for a full appraisal when Mm -hmm. it isn't always necessary. When it isn't always necessary, right? If you need to if you need to find out what should we fund our buy sell agreement at, it's close enough, you know, what is perfect is the enemy of good, right? We don't need to spend 25 grand when we can get 95% of the way there. Exactly. So many stories that I've heard over the years of how our value estimates have been right in line with reports that cost 25,000 and more. We even we even for example, made an attempt to value X, formerly known as Twitter, and based on publicly available information after Elon Musk had said that because of 
the advertiser drop out, the value had dropped to four billion and everybody was up in arms. How could it be four billion? And we right away said, well, no, it's probably not four billion. And we think it's 16, 17 billion. And then two weeks later, he announced the valuation results that was done for executive compensation, and it was 20 billion. It's a pretty versatile tool if the data is entered properly. And that's just an example of how through practice and time, we've learned that the tool is accurate and helpful and worthwhile. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. You were there. Were you there at the very genesis of biz equity? Yes. I and how was. did you how, how did you and Michael meet and and uh, how did that conversation go like hey I've got this crazy idea to make the Zillow of business valuations. What do you yeah. you want in? Yes. That's that's sort of uh, what happened. But as you know, Mike is a very uh, unique and driven and skilled entrepreneur. He made his pitch to me and I jumped right on board and of course for a few years there I was more or less working without pay. It doesn't take long to to know that Mike Carter is serious and he knows what he's doing and he's a he's a good person to hitch a ride with. Mm-hmm. And and so today, what's your what's your current role at Biz Equity? Are you still working with the uh, the various programmers, etc., to continuously stress test, keep the quality control steady, etc.? Yes. For several years, I was doing uh, substantial traditional formal appraisal work when it was required by our clients. Mm -hmm. But a couple of years ago, we decided that my time was better spent improving the, uh, the algorithm and the product. So in addition to monitoring and updating the multiples, I'm doing a lot of uh, research and I've presented at NACFA a couple of times recently doing interviews like this. But most interestingly, I think we're improving the report, the algorithm and the report. For example, we just rolled out a capability to value minority interests. As you know, uh, estate and gift tax uh, valuations all almost always revolve around a minority interest, a non-controlling interest, a 5% interest in stock, and discounts are applicable. And as a result, you could just take a pro rata guess of the control value, but that's that's not how the real world works. So we now offer the ability to apply discounts for lack of control and for lack of marketability that bring these final numbers in line with what would be submitted in a formal uh, appraisal. Mm-hmm. For example, that's yeah. One of them. No, that's great stuff. One more question I want to explore in biz equity, and I want to move into kind of the capital markets today and your role is in a teaching, and your obviously love of the profession, wanting to give back to the to, to the younger professionals. But uh, one of the things that most impressed me about the biz equity report, it's very very robust, is you have these key performance indicators or KPIs, kind of the the second part of the report. And we found those to be really incredibly valuable in discussions because business owners, as you know, they live a bit in a vacuum. And not only do they not know what their business is worth, but they don't even know how they'd love to know how they stack up to their peers, right? Not necessarily the guys or the ladies in the down the street in the industrial park, but are they in line with industry benchmark. So could yeah. you comment on on the value of those KPIs and when were they were they always included in the original platform? 
yeah, the KPIs have, have been there from the beginning and they are a natural corollary to the value estimates. As a general proposition, the better the KPIs are, the more valuable the company will be. Of course, we produce, uh, I think, around 15 of these KPIs, and not all KPIs are relevant to all companies at all times. So there's a bit of a, a finesse to uh, using the KPIs as well. You know, there's a handful that will almost always be important, such as the cash flow margin, which is mm-hmm. the best gauge of profitability, the interest coverage ratio, which is a good measure of uh, ability to service debt. Yes. Solvency. It was the word I was Mm -hmm. looking for. Basically, there's four or five of these key ratios that address liquidity, solvency, activity, and profitability. And in my opinion, those are the ones that you'll typically want to hone in on, just depending on the type of business. Retail companies, of course, are dependent in large part on inventory and those metrics, inventory turnover, for example. Yeah. Not only can a client get a valuation, and folks, for those of you who are listening out there that own your own business, you're not only just getting one valuation methodology, but you're getting four valuation methodologies, but you're also getting you know, 12 to 15 key performance indicators that are yes, industry yeah. specific. I think that the importance of the KPIs, besides helping to understand what's valuable about the company, is that they, they, as you mentioned, they provide a a means of communication between the advisor and the client and a way to, in effect, demonstrate your prowess and your value to the client by uh, walking through those KPIs and discussing potential areas of improvement. Excellent. So, so let's move on from, from biz equity and let's talk about valuation marketplace today, if you will, or more specifically the capital markets today and where business valuations are in terms of multiples, the impact of interest rates, perhaps, Scott, and the fact that you, you hear that there's so much you know dry powder out there and so much money chasing too few deals. So let's start with multiples. Have you yeah. seen multiples come down as a result of the 14 to 15 rate interest rate hikes we've been exposed to over the last 20 to 24 months? Absolutely. To summarize, you could say that overall M&A marketplace has moved from a correction to what might be considered a downturn in the big picture. But clearly, there are exceptions. Uh, there are industry exceptions. One of the uh, most glaring differentials that you'll see with respect to multiples is in, the, for example, the professional services industry and the role that private equity is playing. You will see a, a differential of, let's say, for a financial buyer paying five times EBITDA. And at the other side of the uh, spectrum, private equity firms will be paying 10, even 12, sometimes 15 times EBITDA. And there, there's a method to their madness, uh, mm-hmm. obviously. They're, they're working with management and building a management team and a roadmap for increased revenues and profits in the future that justify that higher multiple today. but So more like a platform professional service purchase that they're going to 
you know, bolt on other acquisitions down the road. So this first one or second one is much more valuable to the PE firm. Is that a yes. different way of saying it? Yes, that's, uh, that's correct. I took a look at uh, one of our clients list of valuations and multiples for professional services companies. And they indicated for each deal, each multiple, whether it was a financial buyer or a private equity or corporate buyer. And, and the difference was just mind boggling. If you have a significant professional services company today, you definitely want to uh, pursue private equity exit options. And that's just, I mean, so, I mean, it, but in your world, when you say professional services, my, you know, here in Northeast Ohio, I think accountant, lawyer, uh, architectural firm, but I've come to know that it could be industry trade association providers. It could be, I've got, I know private equity is now in the medical space, right? I mean, I've got a, a friend of mine. That, yeah. I mean, heart and vascular. I mean, it is just, it's kind of like no holds barred as to where private equity won't go, right? That's right. And they still have that dry powder. But at the same time, the federal government is just starting to push back. And they've even changed their definition of what uh, is considered monopolistic presence in a given market. They've changed the percentage. They're essentially changing the rules that affect the ability to execute transactions in some of these industries that they ignored in the past. Yeah. And they're, they're kind of honing in on, on private equity because there's a, there's been a downside to private equity being 40 to 50% of the total M&A market. Things in the medical industry, as you, as you alluded to, such as a deterioration in the quality of service. Agreed. Still very profitable, but at what cost? Correct. No, I mean you, you can kind of you could see that coming, right? I mean it, the the uh, the re, as as we reach for profits, uh, maybe the quality of care goes down. As you know, it's just it's just human nature. But yeah, interesting. With the interest rate increase, are you seeing any slowing in deal flow based upon the marketplace today, or do you see? I mean, oh. and then and then you know the Fed just came out and said, hey, we're we're going to pause on rates, but. And we might actually cut them. So that's probably music to the capitalist yeah. ears, right? Yes. The deal flow has definitely slowed, but it has slowed more for the larger companies than the middle middle market and the lower middle market. Th those to date have been somewhat of the sweet spot in terms of not seeing a decline in deal count and the multiples not going down as much as surrounding smaller and larger companies. And of course, higher interest rates have changed the deal structures, They meaning more, more cash down and more equity financing and less borrowing. Correct. And at the same time, the higher interest rates coupled with economic uncertainty have changed the, the balance between buyer and seller power in negotiating the deals. We're, we've shifted from a seller's market to more of a buyer's market. Yes, I can. I can see that. Uh, one last question: When we talk about the lower end of the middle market, let's talk about the what we refer to as the micro market, which would be companies with annual revenue, let's say, of thirty million or less. I mean, heck, you can have a ten million dollar revenue company manufacturing here, and whether it's Philly, Boston, or Cleveland, you know, 
15% EBITDA, great little business. Yes. Almost ignored by the PE firms, right? Can't really get good investment banking representation. What's going on in that kind of micro market, if you will? I think that possibly the, the biggest change would be the impact of a, of a slowing economy, less growth in GDP, which means that on average revenues are suffering somewhat and then profits are suffering. And as happens in every recession, these firms become relatively smaller and mm. the phenomenon we refer to as the size effect kicks in in reverse. As the amount of available earnings declines, the multiples actually decline. think that, you know, you and I both know, but this is many of our listeners. I mean, the smaller companies, the micro companies, they also suffer from a lack of buyers, right? I mean, there just isn't as much, there's the capital, what they hear about the private equity firms, they, they aren't chasing, you know, the $10 million phenomenally profit, well-managed manufacturing company. They're, they're kind of flying over those on the way to yeah. the $100 million company. But yet I, I suspect that it really is very fertile ground for maybe some of these family office groups that have established themselves where they're going to have bolt-on acquisitions and start to add 10 million of revenue here, 15 million there, 5 million there. And all of a sudden yes. uh, you're buying it at a significant discount and, and selling it at a premium, the roll-up yeah. strategy. Yeah. So yeah. as we look to uh, kind of conclude our show, and this has been great. Our, our guest today has been Scott Gabehart, who is the chief valuation officer at Biz Equity. Biz Equity is a great friend of the show, but you must obviously love teaching, Scott. When I was reading your bio, adjunct professor here, you taught here. When do you find time for that? You must really enjoy it. Well, I do. Uh, but to be honest, I, I haven't actually taught now for several years. And that's a function of being dedicated and devoted to Biz Equity. But yeah, te teaching is, is great. And especially in my opinion, at the time I was teaching six, seven years ago, the, the virtual teaching was kind of like this important in the grand. Yeah. Scheme. Yeah. Now it's a change of COVID changed the game, right? Yeah. And all right, that's the way it is. And that's what the students demand, but I, there is absolutely no substitute for being in the classroom with students interacting with the professor and I think, uh, a, a negative development in education overall. Yes. I mean, I, I think uh, academia has taken uh, far too much advantage of the ability to get out from being live yeah. in front of the student. I know my, uh, my youngest son was a victim of that at WVU. Scott, this has been great. You've become a, a great friend of the show. Professional, professionally for me, I've been able to, over the years, call you and ask you questions. Where yeah. can people get a hold of Biz Equity? Well, uh, the best route would be bizequity.com, B-I-Z-E-Q-U-I-T-Y.com. You can find me on LinkedIn or Google my name. I'm uh, always open to uh, conversations on various fronts related to valuation. Yep. Can, can I finish on a, a, a positive note? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, the, the M&A market's down. We may still have a recession. Interest rates may come down. They I'm sure they will come down eventually. It's a question of when. But what I would like to point out is that for the micro market that you referenced earlier, at least the, the, the smaller end of that micro market, the ability to get SBA financing to buy a business is 
absolutely as borrower friendly as it's ever been. Meaning this last iteration of the SOP 50-10, which is the rule book for uh, 7A loans, which include change of ownership loans. They eliminated the personal liquidity rules. You can theoretically buy a business with no cash down now. Mm. Uh, the bank may not go for that, but it's possible. Yeah, the uh, bank might not go for it, but your wife or spouse might, right? They would love. They would love that. Yes. <laughs> bottom. Bottom line. You know, I, we don't have time to go into all the details, but they they made a, a series of changes that have really made it easier take advantage of the benefits of SBA financing, which which are good for both the buyer and the seller. Yeah, I think there's I mean, there's so much there that you've said that needs to be said. It's it's so vitally important to the economy of this great country uh, to keep healthy Small businesses business. operating, small business operating. They create 80% of the jobs, as you know. And it's not it's not the thousand person employee. It's the 50 here, 25 there, and they yeah. all add up. Yes. And we know that succession and exit planning preparedness is mission critical. And, S- and the SBA, with the credit of guys like you, have really helped them get their hands around it and become better lenders, I guess, is what you're saying, right? Oh, definitely. Definitely. Well, yeah. maybe we'll have, we'll have you on the show. I've got a good friend of mine, Tara Murphy, here in Cleveland. Huntington Bank is uh, one of the top SBA uh, lenders number, in the in the country. Number yeah, one they're number two. one, but maybe and she does a lot of SBA lending in the buyers space, sell buyers and sellers. And maybe yeah. we could do a little uh, forum on that. I'd like to explore that. We got to go for today, Scott. This has been fantastic. Talk to you all day and learn learn a ton. Our guest today, ladies and gentlemen, has been Scott Gapehart, the Chief Valuation Officer of BizEquity. Check him out at www.bizequity.com. This is Mark Dorman, your host of the Finish Big podcast, how great entrepreneurs exit their companies on top. Until we meet again, And Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays. Here's to Finishing Big. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed listening to Finish Big, the podcast with Mark Dorman from Legacy Business Advisors. Click the follow button to be notified when new episodes are available. Learn more at LegacyBusinessAdvisors.com or call 330-350-5410. Please be aware the information in these podcasts represent the views and opinions of our guests and do not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Legacy Business Advisors. The content is for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional tax or legal advice. Always seek the advice of your legal or tax professional with any questions regarding your specific situation.